I'm excited to give you all another episode of Olive Oil, the podcast that evidences true worship as a means to an end and not an end to a means by providing light, heat, spiritual fuel, and emotional healing to you, our listeners, through reflection on true worship. Within this two-part series, I am proud to present our co-host, Kirsten Cheers, who is a Memphis writer and who I think is the millennial Maya Angelou. And without further ado, Kirsten, take it away. Hi. That, that was really sweet, the modern Maya Angelou. Oh, my gosh. I feel, wow. The, the voice of a modern millennial, hmm. which also give it a different twist. And might I add, a modern black millennial. Come on. Um, I like the word. Because like. <laughs> as we progress through the times of COVID-19 mm-hmm. or the Rona, as some people the put Rona. it, like it's been me saying how don't take our jokes for COVID-19 as us not caring. It was mm-hmm. just like we've been laughing off situations mm-hmm. just to get through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I also see during your writing as well as um. you put in modern and millennial twists to things you get that symbolism you get that imagery into it to where it was just ooh, that that hit home oh <laughs> i'm struggling right now not to touch my face but <laughs> trying not to touch my face um thank you i i don't know where that comes from i mean i, I guess it comes i mean let's dive right in i guess it comes from worship um but i you know, it's not the first time I've heard that. I do admire writers such as Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison. I'm reading a Toni Morrison book right now, The Origin of Others. And I mean, James Baldwin and Langston Hughes. And I I admire, and I mean, not just writers, but I mean like artists and creatives, Lorraine Hansberry, even down to like a Felicia Rashad, Diane Carroll. I admire like that era of black eloquence, not necessarily black excellence, because I think excellence is relative, but black eloquence, right? Mm-hmm. So like just the way that in the time that, like if you ever watch like Maya Angelou, like I think she has a documentary on Netflix um, and Toni Morrison has a documentary on Hulu, like if you ever just pay attention to their vernacular and their dialect and the way that they, you know, enunciate and pronounce just everyday jargon I'm just like I was born in the wrong era so like yeah I'm a millennial Mm -hmm. but every like I I I think you know most folks who know me know I have like an old soul but I'm always just trying to like emulate that era and I think that that's something that's been lost along the generational lines but I mean even down to like you know black churches right so like Mm um you know Bishop G.E. Patterson, and I'm always trying to glean from women, but there are definitely black men, um, especially in black churches and the black church um, culture. You know, Bishop G.E. Patterson and even a T.D. Jakes, and she's not black, but Catherine Kuhlman, who, you know, is, is comes from, you know, different era, but just like the the intellect and the ability to merge intellect, theology, philosophy 
and just this eloquence all in one. I just mm-hmm. admire folks like that and down to pass away you know so even miss sheila so i'm always looking to the older generation for not to like define myself but inspiration i guess you know in my writing it's i don't know like in my writing i'm just it just kind of comes out because i think i've just always been looking i've i've always been i'm a i like to call myself a, a professional student because mm-hmm. i'm just always learning and so when it, when it comes time to write or even speak I really do. I consciously try to emulate what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've read. And at the same time, allowing who I am naturally to just kind of flow out. So merge it all together. Like I'm always thinking about how to be spiritual and intellectual at the same time. So like this sanctified intellect. And so, but at the same time, like sanctified intellect. Yeah. Almost like Angela Rye has. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can't do the ratchet. Like I, I can be I can be a little ghetto, but you know, when it's time for brunch. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> but like, you know, when I'm you know, but no, but, but yeah, because there are just so many dichotomies of a person. You're not just all one way. So how can I merge everything that I am and just be that anytime, anytime and any day? You mentioned Miss Sheila, you missed you mentioned Pastor Whalem. Mm-hmm. How do you think growing up within the house of the new all of that and in reflection of true worship how did that positively guide you to who you are and your style today um well that's an easy question because one and i think anyone who knows this know this knows this about me i didn't grow up in the new all of it um i joined the new all of it 3084, um, when I was 17, it was October 2008, so it was Women's Month. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I could paint the picture. I remember the exact, I, I remember what I had on. I remember um, what the choir was singing. I believe the choir was singing Hold On to God's Unchanging Hand. And um, it was just a beautiful, it, it was a beautiful moment. And it was my first time feeling the Holy Spirit for myself and it was the first time that I um I just I, I knew that God was talking to me straight up and and it, it it started as a feeling and it started the moment I really just walked in and I had visited the church like maybe three times before and I grew up in church right so Sunday school was at 8 a.m and we literally would not leave church until three um, we didn't have a youth choir. Um, we wore robes, choir robes. Sometimes we wore satin shirts. It was hot. And I was this chubby little girl singing in the choir <laughs> with hair all down my back. And like, even at a young age, I would be like, mom, like, can I just not sing? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be involved. Yeah. Right. And so my mom was like, you, my mom and my aunt, I was raised by my mom and my aunt. They were like, you're not going to be a pew member. They didn't believe in that. They didn't believe in not being involved in the church in some type of way. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to around the time I think I was like, I don't know, 14, 15, before I really started to drive, that's when I heard of like churches, how they had like this thriving youth ministry. And so me and my cousins, because I went to church, most of, not most of the church was my family, but quite a few um, members of my family also went to the church who I, you know, grew up with. We decided to just start visiting 
So we had a cousin who could drive. So we would visit during the week to go to their like youth Bible study. And even there, like no shade, but it, I just didn't, I didn't feel it. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was cool, but it wasn't, I just knew there was something else. You were church dating. Yeah, like at 14, 15 Mm -hmm. years old, like because we wanted to be around folks our age. Mm -hmm. And I think going to those type of spaces is when I realized that I was not this regular teen, like I wasn't this regular teenager, um, that I was different. My mom had always instilled that in me that I was different. So I never really related much to people my age, Mm -hmm. even back then. So me and my mom made this agreement. I was like, when I turn 18, I get to join a new church. And that's crazy, right? Because like 18 years old, you're thinking about going to college, right? Me, I was like, no, I'm going to find a new church home. (laughs) And she was like, that's fine. But you cannot leave church until you cannot join a new church until you're 18. Mm -hmm. Well, my birthday's in December, right? And so um, I started visiting. I'll tell you what happened. So like my Pat Myers, who is now Pat Myers, at the time, her name was Pat Pat Brown was my eighth grade American history teacher or U.S. government or something like that. She'll correct me. And she had this poster board behind her desk and the entire poster board was like her family. But like a lot of pictures were like her at church and she had like the church's logo on there. And she had like a bulletin from the church and she talked about church sometimes. That was also the same year that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so she missed quite a bit of school because she was sick. And I, I, I just remember like really missing her and like really wanting to know, like, is, is she OK? Like praying for her, like, you know, in eighth grade, however you are in eighth grade. And um, when she finally came back, I just really remembered her saying that she had like the church had like covered her and like prayed for her and stuff like that. So. I all, but I never knew where this church was. You was you was curious. I was curious. I was like, this is this is you know. I've never really heard a teacher profess. You 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 see teachers that got their Bible on the desk and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I've never heard a teacher like profess how much they really love their church, and really had that community in that space. It I'm turned curious. on a light bulb, because even though I had been raised in church, I didn't see someone. Shout out to Miss Pat, but. You know, you're one way on Monday and you one way on Sunday. Miss mm-hmm. Pat had faith like that. I think that probably I have to give her credit for being like one of the first. Ex- I mean, and I have my my aunt, my my, my mother and, and other folks. But I mean, outside of like family and seeing people like replicate um, this faithful person, not just faithful to a space or faithful to. But faithful to what you say you believe like she Absolutely. she just she just knew. And so, like, you know, she later on, you know, I just always remembered the new Olivet, the new Olivet. And once I started driving, I remember driving. I live, still live in Glenview. Uh, I remember driving down Southern and seeing right there at Southern and I think Parkway um, before it turns into young uh, Kennedy Whalem. And I remember that was her pastor's name. And I was like, that's her pastor's name. This is like a few years later. Yeah. And so then I dr- kept driving one day and there it was, this 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 church that I had seen in all these pictures. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go visit. Fast forward, for real fast forward. Um, I'm still a member. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, so yeah, I joined the church when I was 17. I was like, oh, me and my mom said I couldn't join until I was 18. They had, the church had already called the house, you know, and, and asked my the mom. House, yeah. The letter. 
So when so when you join when you're under 18, um, you have to get permission from your folks, from your parents. So mm-hmm. the power ministry, like you know, I'm sure it was called power at the time, called the house and said, Curse and Cheers has joined, you know, whatever conversation they had. My aunt answered the phone and she told them, Yes, that's okay. So mm-hmm. that was still a conversation. Like, yeah. so there was still this conversation I still needed to have with my mom. But my aunt already knew and she told me she was proud of me. So been here since then. I think the following year I accepted my call to preach. I think worship has I don't I don't think worship can do anything but positively impact your life. Saying all that to say from Miss Brown to who Miss Myers, Mrs. Myers now, all the way down to, you know, right now, I just think when you when you worship, when you come into that um to that understanding of worship, into that relationship with worship. Because I think worship really is a relationship. How was it initiating you that conversation on yeah. the why? Yeah. Because within people's walk mm-hmm. with Christ and mm-hmm. then following, they have difficult questions and difficult conversations yeah. that sometimes may need to be had, whether mm-hmm. it's leaving their old church mm-hmm. or maybe somebody asks them a question because they might have posted something from Sunday service mm-hmm. or they're at Bible study mm-hmm. and you get asked different questions or different conversations come up. How did you at that time navigate in that conversation and what would you say to your younger self now? It's going to sound cliche, but the same God who led me to join was the same God who led me to have that conversation with my mom. So I know we had it the same day Mm -hmm. and it was just straight up. She came home from work and I said, ma, (laughs) I joined, I joined the new Olivet. And she said, I figured you would. And so like, it wasn't like after that, it was just like, okay, you know? And so I think, and, and I like, so I, I navigate even conversations tough because even having tough conversations about worship, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have people who have their own definition of worship, which we know is just flat out wrong, right? So, I mean, in the Greek and the Hebrew and, in you know, in the English, it's just flat out wrong. <laughs> um, one thing that I have learned then and that I would tell my younger self, even before I get to 17, probably when I'm like 10 or maybe 11 or 12, is that the right conversations, uh, even if they're hard to initiate, will not conflict with what you believe. I, I don't know. The, the, that's an that's a aha moment right there for me. It's like, it's like you know, when God, you're, you're going to be in conversations with people who are just going to flat out disagree and that, you know, you can open a Bible and y'all can, I don't have time for that, man. You know what I mean? Like, I I can tell you, hey, that's not really the definition of worship, you know, and I can just, that's it. And I, and think, I just walk away. And I think that reflects even outside of the topic of worship to everyday things. Yeah. As we want to be politically correct nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're in a time where everything is really divisive. People want to be politically correct. Right. Some people don't right. care. Right. But navigating those difficult conversations. Yeah. But difficulty initiate. Well, they may seem difficult yeah. to initiate, but if it's meant to happen, it will happen i think i think people who i have had conversations about worship with and who have remained my friends or have remained you know close to me 
didn't buck against me once I, one, proved that I was right. <laughs> and then two, um, because I had that conviction and it aligned with my belief. Like, I, I don't really have, I've never really had, you know, issues with my family. And this kind of goes outside of worship, but coming to church three times a week, especially twice on Sunday. My family like, all right, you got to go back to church. You know, if everybody's at the house kicking it, doing whatever, whatever, and it's a Sunday. Um, and I'm like, all right, I got to go back to church. It's five o'clock. I got to be there at six. They're like, okay, you know, we may be here when you get back. But I've, I've never struggled with that. And the people who did buck against me, me and them ain't cool. You know what I mean? And so it's like the important conversations. I don't know. I don't know if I would say it's difficult to us because we're like, oh, this goes against everything. Right. Mm -hmm. This goes against what I've been taught. This goes against the way I've been raised. This goes against the norm. Right. Everybody's brunching on Sundays. Perfect example. Here we go. Everybody's brunching on Sundays. Church doesn't get out till one. Brunch starts at 12, 11 in some spaces. I'm behind. Okay. When I tell you I'm late. Right. And so I'm like, you know, hold my seat. I'm coming. People think I'm playing. I'm like, Mm-mm, I brunch on Sundays. I love brunch. They got this little, you know, now with the with the COVID, the Rona, you know, they done closed all the restaurants. I am grieving because I'm not going to be able to go to brunch on Sundays. But my friends, right, going back, like they know Kirsten don't get out of brunch until one. Save her a seat. If we do get here at 12 or we start going to brunch at one, whatever, like it's never I've never I'm very grateful that I have been in friend spaces with people who never bucked against or just flat out disagreed with things that I believe or my theology or my my religious practices. They if nothing else, I think every single last one of my friends, as I'm thinking right now, has come to my church at least once and worshiped at least once by prostration right um i am also the friend that they call <laughs> right so like so you're, you're that friend. i am that friend so like you done did something or you going through i'm coming over to the house i have literally gone over to my friend's homes and been like all right let's just worship real quick and then we can talk about or let's talk about it but at some point we gonna get on this flow right and they're like yeah, okay cool so what is that time like as you share with your friends what is that time in worship what does it do for you Ooh, that's a good question for me mostly is and I'm going to use this word because that's just the time that we're in uh it's quarantining it is my moment of stillness it is my moment of shutting everything else down and one um, cause I, I mean, I don't think I've ever just struggled, but like I just, the practice, once I fully understood that worship is not for me, right? This is for God. This is what God craves. Mm -hmm. There is an, there is a chance that I can give God this and I get nothing back, but do I love God enough to just give him what he craves? So I get down, prostrate, bow, blowing kisses. You know, I blow kisses often as it's like, if I'm about to walk into a meeting, you know, um, it's really my way of saying, um, here, here, God, you know, this is for you. But I always get in return stillness because I'm busy. I'm a busy person. Mm -hmm. And and you can probably already tell I'm a very inquisitive and I'm always thinking and I'm always processing. And so my mind is always talking. I'm always reading news. I'm always on social I'm always writing. I'm always politicking something. I'm always doing something. Um, worship for me is I get down and I say, you know, I worship 
I worship you for who you are, Lord. I worship you for who you are. And I just keep repeating that in my mind. And at some point I stop and I just get really quiet. It just gets quiet around me, which is also why I prefer not to worship. Sometimes I will. If I'm just really struggling, I'll worship with music. But mm-hmm. I prefer to worship around nothing, right? Like in the middle of the dining room, <laughs> living room in my bedroom, nothing's on, nothing's plugged in. Anywhere, any place. Anywhere, any place, anytime. I don't have to be at the New Olivet. And um, I don't know if that's a bad thing to say. I don't think so. But I have learned how to worship any place, anytime, anywhere. When I was in D.C. for an internship, uh, which was, th- I think that was the most beautiful time of my life and, and game changing in my life was when I was, was living in D.C. And I lived with three different people. So there were four of us in an apartment. Uh, when they would leave, I would get down and worship and just have that moment, have that moment of stillness walking through the cherry blossoms on the, the National Mall blowing kisses real quick you know and you you yeah. deal with that like somebody gonna see me but you know after a while it's just like you this that, this like, is just for me and you you have that alone time with you and god mm-hmm. it's just like you're mm-hmm. you're social distancing yourself yes. from yes. everyone else got to oh i and love it what is your end result of quarantine what comes clarity clarity and focus um always always um for me which is why i don't know if other people battle worship like sometimes I think that I, I know that's why the devil fights so hard against it especially in my life because once I become a focused and a clear woman it's over right like I'm just shooting for whatever um and so it 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 is in the devil's best interest to keep me confused and to keep me bound in my mind. I really don't wrestle with a lot. You know, I really I really have adapted the scripture that says we wrestle not with flesh and blood because I, I don't care. It's not that I don't care about people, but it's like, I know this ain't you. This is a spirit yeah. that's within you. Um, so I'm not that phased by people, by other human beings. There is a spirit realm, however, that is working overtime as I'm trying to double down. This spirit realm is trying to double down on keeping me depressed, anxious, fearful, confused. But once I worship and one thing that I've started saying, even now in my worship is God, you're bigger, right? I serve a really big God. God is big, you know? And so like during my prostration, I'm like, God, you're just whatever, I'm whatever issue, whatever is in front of me, you are bigger than that. And then this stillness comes, this quietness comes. It's not, I don't always necessarily hear like this voice, but I do get a peace. Maybe that is, you know, the the, the third thing. I get this clarity, this focus and peace mm-hmm. about the day. Even if, even if I don't think I'm necessarily up against something, I got peace about the day. When we got news about the Rona, I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. Yeah. I have friends that were freaking out. I got friends in my group chats right now that are freaking out, but they are you know, kind of leaning on me because they're like, how are you just okay? I'm like, because I serve a really big God. So, and I worship. And so that's, I want to piggyback off of that. Yeah, go ahead. When they said, how did you know you're okay? When and how did you get to the point knowing it's okay for things not to be okay? Ooh, that is so good. When and how did I get to the point yeah, when that? I learned that it was okay for things to not be okay, there is a scripture. <laughs> um, 
I don't can't recall where it is, but it's in the New Testament. It's in one of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the story of of the father bringing his demon possessed son to the disciples, and the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who was Jesus's favorite or you know who had more power. Some petty, some crazy. This is why you can't focus on people because people mm-hmm. just silly. So. Um, the father brings his son to to the disciples and he asks them to cast them out. Now, Jesus had already told them that you have the power to cast out devils, but they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They could not do it. And so Jesus comes strolling along and he's like, what's going on? And the father tells Jesus, like, you know, I brought my son to your disciples, but they're not able to cast the demons out of my son. And he asks Jesus, can you do it? And I can just imagine Jesus responding like with a scoff, like, can I do it? Like, I'm Jesus. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think that is the greatest scripture in all the 66 books. I really do. And it it wasn't spoken by a disciple. It wasn't even spoken by Jesus. It was Mm -hmm. spoken by this man who knew Jesus, recognized Jesus, and yet and still had a doubt within him that his son would never be healed. I believe, that's me, I believe that you can have faith and doubt at the same time. Mm -hmm. I believe those two things can coexist and it's okay because the end of the, well, not the end of the story, but Jesus' next act was he healed the son. So your doubt is never going to stop Jesus from being Jesus. It's not going to stop God from being God. And if we're honest with God, that's another thing that worship does is like, I got to bring, when I worship, I'm bringing you everything of me. I'm bringing you all of me. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing you my proclivities. I'm bringing you my sin. I'm bringing you my strengths. I'm bringing you my weaknesses. I'm bringing you my knowledge. I'm bringing you my ignorance. When here I go, here it is. You can accept it or you can't. And God always accepts it. God will always accept you where you are and who you are. And that will never, who you ain't and where you're not is not going to stop God from being God. Don't you just hate when good conversation just abruptly comes to an end? Fortunately, we have part two coming up real soon. 